0: of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I um, was, we were going to go back to Matthew and kind of extract from it uh, an emphasis on the virgin birth of Christ, or his virgin conception, some people prefer to call it. Um, why is the virgin birth a big deal? Why do the Christian creeds, you know, the ancient creeds, why do they go out of their way to uh, enumerate that fact? Couldn't Jesus have just been born by natural means? Does it really make a difference? Um, but in expecting to there to be 10 people, I was off. <laughs> I, I I discarded it. I decided I'll do it next week. And I was going to go with something um, a little more off the path that we're on right now. So I'm so sorry about that because I guess I should have just done it. But here we are. I think maybe God has this direction for a reason. Um, so what I wanted to do is I just wanted to talk about John two, one through 11, which Tyler read in the midst of our prayer and praise. Um, so you guys can go to John two, if you wanted to just refresh what that story is about. It's the first miracle of Jesus. John chapter two, verse one, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana and Galilee, And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, that's what he says out loud. But what does he do in secret? Or Mary, I should say, in secret. She says, it says, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So behind the scenes, something else is going to happen than what he just said. I'll explain that in a moment. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jews, for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons That must have been so heavy to move. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with wine. Now there's six of them. Or fill the jars with water, excuse me. There's six of them. Fill them up. Six is that one number short of creation, right? Now, How does John begin his gospel? In the beginning was the word. And he recounts how everything came through Christ. Um, So we're being set up here. Also, we are opened and introduced to Christ through his baptism by John the Baptist in John chapter 1. So now we've got water. We've got this number 6. We're we're fully in the flow of what John has established at the beginning of his gospel. Um, And they filled these six jars up to the brim in verse 8. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it and when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine. A very anticlimactic way of saying something radical just happened. <laughs> oh, the water now became wine, by the way. <laughs> when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, um, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew they were in on the miracle. They were the hands, the vessels of the miracle. Um, The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely read when it doesn't matter what you're drinking anymore, (laughs) Um, then the poor wine is served, but you have kept the good wine until now. Two things about that. One's just a statement about, yeah, logically give the first right. Good impression. Start the party off. Right. The wedding party starting with the good wine. And then taper off as you go, because by then people are just like, just anything will do. Um, now, they were the Jews weren't super like, don't think like college party, okay? It's not like that kind of drinking. Um, but what's happening here is imagine, they're, towards, they're somewhere in the progress of this wedding. They've run out of wine. So they've had a lot of wine. They've already had the best wine. This wine is so good that despite tasting all this and maybe kind of just at the point where it's all tasting the same, they notice this one. This is how good this wine is, okay? You need to see that. That in the midst of the monotony um, of wine after wine after wine, this one stands out. And um, verse 11, this was the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So John numbers the signs, the miracles of Jesus, because John has seven that he records. Because John, again, is establishing Christ is the seventh. He is the new creation in the beginning because in the end, he's raised in a garden. The whole Garden of Eden has come back to us through his ministry and his work. So the six jars of water. These are incomplete. It's like the world right now. It's it's, Christ comes to bring the seventh. But the seventh isn't just one more jar of water. That's the last thing we need is just one more thing on our calendars. One more thing in this world. One more. That's not how he does the seventh. The seventh is a transformation of the six. So all of this becomes new. More than that. This isn't just water becoming grape juice. This is very important to know. Because water becoming grape juice is not a terribly amazing transformation. Now, I don't get me wrong. I would be amazed and, and impressed if Nacelle came up here and had me taste her water bottle. Oh, that's water, everyone. And then she just did this like little... And then I tasted it again. It's grape juice. Like, I would be no doubt impressed. But more impressive is changing water to wine. The reason is... Because wine is not something that's made instantaneously. It's made through a process called fermentation. So like grape juice, you can get instantly. You can squeeze a grape and you have grape juice. But wine, you cannot squeeze a grape and get wine. You squeeze a grape and now you have the blood of the grape. But now the blood of the grape has to interact with bacteria in the air called yeast. And the yeast interacts with the sugars in the juice of this grape. And it transforms the juice of the grape. The yeast and the sugar get together and create what we today call alcohol. It creates something new in the juice. And then this newness is actually living. When something is being fermented, it's actually alive. I mean, I know this because um, I ferment sourdough, right? That's what sourdough is. It's fermented dough. And this thing's alive. Um, You have to feed your sourdough or it dies. It gets hungry. Um, Also, uh, uh, kombucha is something a lot of people like as a health drink. It's fermented tea. Um, I know how to work that, too. Um, but it's alive. You have to feed it. And actually, there's these things that in these things that grow, like a scoby that grows. It's a living food. Living food is good for our bodies because it brings life to our bodies. So they say sourdough is healthier to eat than regular bread because sourdough is alive and it helps you to actually digest. It digests most of the food for you. Mm. So the same idea with, like, kombucha. Um, now, I'm not going on this thing to defend wine because actually... Current commercial wine is done a little bit differently than natural fermentation. So unfortunately, you lose a lot of those benefits. But Jesus um, here is doing something amazing. He's taking water, and now he's he's brought this fermentation process into it. He's brought the water to life. It's become a living thing. It's become more than what it was. Not just a different type of liquid, but more than liquid. This is what Christ does in his coming to us, is he takes, when we get baptized, when we become united with Christ, when we enter into salvation, he takes those six water jars that we had for cleansing, if you will, and he now ferments us into a living member of his body, and that's what the church is. The church is a living organism. It's not static. It's dynamic. There's life happening because the spirit is fermenting the gospel within us. It's bubbling up. There's something that has to be fed. There's something that has to be allowed to grow. And if the church does what it's supposed to do, if Christians continue to unite themselves to Christ, we will see this fermentation, this expansion of the people of God and their influence into our culture. Because... When you when, when dough ferments, it expands. Same with the liquids. They develop bubbles. They expand. This is what the church is to do. And this is what Christ wants to come into our midst and do, is he wants to transform this life into us. So when we are united to Christ, it's a lot more than just, I feel close to him. Actually, something happens to our nature, and we become partakers of the divine nature, see last week's message to understand a little more of how that happened through the incarnation um but the two natures of humanity and divinity get to unite together and god gets to do something to us where we develop his virtues and his likeness so that's what we get to have is liveness union in christ but don't miss it brothers and sisters We can miss it. We can get distracted by the hope of the wedding feast to come. And I'm the bride and we're going to celebrate one day. And Christ in this first miracle is saying, that's true. The wedding feast will come. And as the prophets talk about, the wine will flow freely. But, because wine is a sign of the coming of the kingdom. But, don't miss the wedding feast right now. Don't miss the wedding feast in your life today. Don't miss it because you failed to walk and live and grow in your union in Christ, with Christ. He is going to cause the wine to flow in our lives if we are willing to enter the wedding feast with him on a regular basis. Every morning when you wake up, every evening when you go to sleep, throughout the day in your, in your communication with him, constant communion is the wedding feast. And your ugh, water, I just want to be spilt out because I'm like exhausted, can actually become fermented kingdom come wine in our lives. This is part of why John shows this as the first gospel, or the first miracle in his gospel. So I say all that. Because remember, don't miss the wedding feast in your life today. Oh, you don't know what my life is like, Pastor Brandon. It's boring. It's terrible. Uh, I have so many things against me. Do you know who I'm married to? Or do you know who I'm not married to? Or do you... What? Brittany's looking at me like, what are you saying? I'm not talking about my life. Oh, oh, Pastor Brandon, do you know who I'm married to? She's saying that to me. Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) She's married to me, unfortunately. Do you know what's going on? I don't. I don't know everything that's going on. Here's what happens to us is we fail to look for Christ's fermentation in our lives. We fail to look for his miraculous work in our lives because we get caught up in the, this is how we usually do things. When he tells Mary What does this have to do with me? Woman, what does this have to do with me? He's saying this out loud. Because what happens? They're out of wine. This is kerfuffle. And then Mary's like, I know what to do. Notice how she's called the mother of Jesus, by the way. It's another theological point, but not for right now. Emphasizing that she bore him. Not just Mary, but she is the bearer of Christ. Um, She, uh... Boy, when you do those add-ons and you lose your place, um... She comes to him and people are like, ooh, something's going to happen. Jesus, do something. And uh, you can imagine the heads turning, right? What's going to happen? And he says, women, my time has not come. Like, this doesn't concern me. Why? I think he's saying this to get the crowds off of him. He doesn't want attention on what's about to happen. So Mary then goes and tells the servants to do whatever Jesus says in secret. But how does Mary know that this is going on, right? She was just told, I'm not doing anything. And then she goes and tells the servants, do what he says to do. She's somehow in the know on something. Here's what I would suggest, is that she, uh, Jesus does not want everyone to hear that what's about to happen is because he's performing a miracle, because the point isn't to draw attention to himself right now. So he tells Mary, women, my time has not yet come, wink. And the mother knows. She knows he's going to do something, but he's putting people's attention off of him right now. So then she goes to the servants and says, okay, something's going to happen, so be ready when Jesus comes and tells you something, make sure you do it. And so then they do it, and the, the, the wedding's transformed. Okay, you and I need to understand that in our walk with Christ, we need to look out for that wink. Because we can go to him and say, why aren't you fixing my solution? Why aren't you doing this in my life right now? And the whole time he's winking like it's not going to happen right now. Or what does that have to do with me? But there's this wink as if to say, look for the secret, quiet things you're overlooking. I'm working in the background. I'm not working the way you're expecting me to. Or I'm not working in such a way to make you look awesome. Look for those subtle things that Christ is doing that maybe we're overlooking. And then we'll see the transformations. We'll see water to wine in our lives. We must look for the wink. And that takes walking with him and knowing him. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and to ages of ages. Amen.